You are listening to Primal Radio, the podcast dedicated to combat sports, martial arts, self-defense, and the warrior mindset. And here are your hosts from Hamilton, New Jersey, Jim McCann, and London, England, Tom McGrath. All right, we're back. Primal Radio. Tom, what's up, buddy? I'm good, man. Real good. Real good. What's lots, that? Yeah, lots of things to discuss this week. Big, yeah, big no, there is. Last week, I um, I talked when I talked to you. Yes, I didn't listen to what we did talked about with Nick, and actually, it was pretty good. Nick's pretty insightful. He's he's uh, you know, quite. He's uh, got all that information about the MMA and stuff. He's really insightful, local guy. So I want to thank Nick for being on the show, and we're gonna have him back in. When when's that fight? When's the Khabib uh, McGregor fight? Uh, That's in a couple weeks. Week, end of October. Yeah. First week of October it is? Yeah. And you know what? So real quick before we bring our guests on, as I went back and I watched, I bet you 10 Khabib fights will get Bucks uh, take on this. And I, th- I tell you what, I think McGregor's going to take it. I wasn't so sure, but I actually went down, did homework, and watched it. And I have my feelings on it. You might think I'm wrong, but hey, what do I care? Oh. But what's that, Tom? As a McGregor fan, I'm scared. But anyway, we'll get on to uh, that in a minute. I have two questions for you, Jim. One. Why? Did you manage to kill that fly that was on your head when we were chatting this morning? I did. I caught it in my hand out of the air. I know it. There's no witnesses, though. Did it really happen? The motherfucker was taunting me all morning. Came so you know, so people know I'm talking to Tom on Facebook this morning before the show, and this and there's a big black dot on my head, and Tom's trying to just say, "Is there anything?" And it's a fly, and and uh, I did catch him. I caught him and I squished him. Good work with with, yeah. with the uh, with my bare hands. Uh... I'm a fucking killer. <laughs> I was gonna say with ketchup, it was awesome. I couldn't con us. I couldn't believe I caught him out of the air. Maybe he was a little he was a little slow, but I I swear to God I caught him right here. Slap my hands together and uh, no more fly. What happened to your tooth? My tooth? Oh, from last week? Yeah, you said it got kicked out by. A... I got yeah. So I was fighting a yeah four time world kickboxing champion. One of my students. I'm getting yeah. ready for another fight. And I'm not, I haven't sported that level of caliber of a kickboxer in a while, you know, boxing, grabbing, but even MMA guys. So we were sparring and he um, kicked me right in the face. And I said, Ooh, that was a good shot. But he cracked my tooth. I think I swallowed half of it. Oh, ah, whatever. Oh. And so, yeah, hey, look, it's part of the price we pay. And uh, <laughs> I'm willing to risk my modeling career to get kicked in the face. And so uh. then I went to the dentist. I had that fixed. I have to go back to uh, again this week and more shit. Hours in my in my mouth doing whatever the hell it is they're doing. Spit everywhere. They have these big shields on, but uh, I survived. I went as soon as I was in the chair. A couple hours, I went right back. You were in a yeah. mouthpiece. I was, but it was Damn. a really good kick. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, well, it wasn't a good mouthpiece. Um, maybe it was. Look, it might have been the perfect storm. I don't know. It wasn't even really a hard kick. I don't think I, it didn't hurt me. Um, and he could certainly, uh, you know. Uh, do damage. It just might have just been the perfect moment in time. But hey, Tom, enough about yeah. me. Um, you me, want to give uh, uh, announce our guest? Yeah, let, let me let me introduce our guest. And it, it's, it's kind of uh, uh, stay with me, listeners, because it's it's a oh, mildly yeah. interesting story. So, um, I I follow a combative stru- instructor in the UK who's well known, guy called Mick Coop. Um, uh, very good. Check check out his stuff. Um, and he was interviewed on a podcast and Jim and I have talked a lot about some of the other podcasts out there. And we obviously think our stuff is kind of the best around. And I listened to this podcast and I thought, Hey, this one's pretty good. I kind of really enjoyed it. (laughs) Um, and I've listened to about eight to 10 more episodes since. And 
uh, doing this show, it's kind of given me the balls to reach out to people and sort of say, you know, look, hey, would you fancy coming on the show? Um, I've, I've now done a load of research on on, on uh, this week's guest, and he's a really interesting guy, very very distinguished career in Muay Thai, kind of combat sports background, and a whole lot of other martial arts, um, work with people like Eric Paulson, etc. Um, uh, so if you want to check out that uh, podcast, it's called The Fight Focus, and I'd like to welcome uh, to uh, this week's show, Buck Grant. Welcome Thank to the show, mate. Thanks for having me on the show, guys. I appreciate welcome. it. How was Jamaica? How was Jamaica? Jamaica, uh, Jamaica was eye-opening. Um, so it was like, it was, it was marketed like a kind of a, a meditation retreat because I'm, 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 I'm on the martial arts side of things where like I, I, I fight, but then I'm also more really interested in like human psychology and, and spirituality and all that stuff. Like I, I think they're all one, one thread. So I went to this meditation retreat and it, they called it meditation, but it was more like a, meditation shamanic work yoga retreat type stuff um and every time i say shamanic work people think oh you're doing ayahuasca in the in the freaking jungle sweet like no it was all yeah. done with meditation yeah which i'm you know i'm down for whatever i'll, I'll, I'll do anything at least once um, but you know I, I was just exploring human consciousness man trying to figure out like what is what is it to this thing that we call consciousness and you know how it connects to the the just meat vessel that we tend to fight people with and Right. And, and so forth. Awesome. So I had a How did you find out about this thing down there? So I was looking for an integrated doctor when I lived in Charlotte. I moved here to Charlotte. I had a year where I was dealing with really bad um, kind of HPA axis disorder. Like um, just my, my, essentially my adrenal system was on overload, living in a bad city, being in a bad relationship and whatnot. And so oh. when I got here to Charlotte, I started getting myself back in shape, but I still had a bunch of bangs and bruises from like my fight career and, and, right. and dating a horrible girlfriend. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> so i got here and i was like i want to integrate a doctor and i got introduced to this guy um matt lyon who's a chiropractor but he does like holistic integrated healing and i was skeptical but i went to the guy and 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 the stuff was working so he invited me to a retreat like right on the spot first day i met him because we clicked and i just said yes and bought the ticket know. and ended up going so off into the jamaican jungle i went and went on a shamanic journey man it was a blast how long, you, how long were you there for Four days, four days. But it four felt days. like I was there for 30. It felt no like I was kid. there for a month. Like time got really, really slow. Nice. And I connected with people on a real deep mm -hmm. level that I had just met. And when I got back here, the world was weird. <laughs> the world was fucking weird, man. So, what, so you get down there, right? You land there and you go to wherever it is you go. You no contact with the outside world, I'm assuming? No, I mean, you 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 know, you landed to the airport. And I get flown to this, this kind of... Uh, like retreat houses these locals own um and you have mm -hmm. access to like internet and wi-fi and all that stuff but do they uh, do they suggest that you don't access that yes yes and for the right. most part we didn't a like strong I left, suggestion right. yeah because you know like part of the problem is like that you know if we're 95 percent of our body's running off of a, a program right we're, we're we're mostly subconscious as human beings and a lot of that is being programmed by our external world so you know yeah what you grew up with but then more importantly now social media is completely programming us on who we think we are. And so in order to get the most out of this retreat, it was kind of like you had to purge from that stuff a bit. Like, right. don't leave the outside world alone for a little bit. Go inside, kind of figure out who you are. And then once you go back into the outside world, you'll, you'll kind of start to see things a little bit differently. And I definitely did. Was that difficult to be disconnected or less? 
or were you since you were so open to doing it it wasn't an issue for you no nah, it wasn't that bad i mean i needed the purge anyway i mean I'm, I'm just as bad as anybody else man if that phone's in my hand like i won't even it'll just magically yeah. show up in front of my face and next thing you know i'm looking right. at instagram for no damn reason right and then there goes know? 10 minutes of your life you'll never get back yeah multiplied eight or ten times over the day you know isn't it something like some people on average now look at their phone is it once every 10 minutes or once every 15 minutes i heard that statistic not long ago and i don't know if it's true or not but it's goddamn sounds true. right sounds, sounds about right. it might even be more and that the average attention span now is down to five seconds yeah yeah that's bad man Tom's <laughs> like what that's were we bad. talking about we need to do a new five-second show. Yeah, five <laughs> seconds, two words, boom, like, got it. It's really true. So that was good. So it was worth worth doing. You do it again if they have it again. I Definitely guess. worth. I mean, like, I never thought I'd be able to sit down for two hours and meditate anywhere. Right. You know, like, but we were talking about, like, going from a five-second attention span to two hours of focused breath and movement. Yeah. And it was it was pretty eye-opening, man. It How do you get into all this? So was this, I mean, were you always sort of fascinated? Because I have been, by the way doing martial arts my whole life and then maybe 18 or so kind of got into this aspect the 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 mind aspect and the spirituality and the uh, self you know all that stuff and i've read thousands of books on all this stuff and put none of it to practice but i know a lot about it but they didn't say that hey you gotta get up and fucking do it you know so were you always into that stuff or was there some kind of revelation hey i need to change i need to get my shit together what you know, I was fortunate enough to have a mom that was really in tune to that stuff. And my grandmother was a Reiki practitioner no before kidding. I even knew what Reiki was. Yeah. And um, my mom was really big into the spiritual world. Like, if I asked my mom, like, what religion she was into, she was like, oh, I believe in the Force. Like, she believed in Star Wars, you know? Yeah, she was trying to train me to be a Jedi Knight from day one. So nice. It That's wasn't, not a bad thing to be, brother. It wasn't, man. Yeah, you're not far off, to be fair. I've been chasing <laughs> it my whole life, man. I'll be perfectly honest with you, that and superheroes is the primary reason that I do anything I do. Yeah. <laughs> Still trying to be a superhero, man. You know. no, that's- but a couple of questions. One, um, my my instructor in JKD, he's gone and done the ayahuasca stuff in mm-hmm. in like the jungle in I think Peru, um, and he. I wanted to ask you like what your sort of major revelations you got out of that experience was, and two, I wanted to ask what where you're sort of hereditarily from sort of things. So you, I know you do a lot of Muay Thai, but you're not Thai. I, I, I couldn't place where you you know where your family's from or whatever that might be. Yeah, yeah. So um, my background is my mother is African-American and Irish. My father is uh, Native American and African-American. So quintessential. Right, that's a hell of a mix, brother. Yeah, I've got quite a bit of the American <laughs> you mutt. Don't see that. You know? <laughs> and it's a DM blue mix almost. Yeah, yeah. American mutt and proud of it. I've, had, I've walked into like numerous places and had people... Like I've had Filipino people come up and start talking Tagalog to me. I have no ah. idea what to say. Puerto Ricans, not, not, I got nothing. I speak, I speak English fairly well, fairly. Yeah. <laughs> and that's about it. <laughs> so I get accused with a lot of things. And um, but yeah, I, I, to your point with the, what I got out of it, there was an experience like the last day where we we had this ritual they were going to do at the end of it called a, a burial ritual. Where they're literally going to bury us in like these makeshift graves no kid that is pretty cool yeah it was kind of like um you ever seen the black panther movie yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. you know when they bury him they give him the 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 elixir and then he he goes and sees his ancestors and pops out like kind of reborn it was it was very much like that the whole time i was there i thought i was living the avatar movie 
Like no kidding, that the, is pretty neat. The whole time, like this idea about everything being connected, you know, the, from the trees yeah. to us and the environment yeah. to the people, and you know, it's one thing to like have people tell you things about spiritual experiences, right? Like, okay, you should believe. That's the whole idea. Idea behind faith is like they tell you, and then you believe without knowing. But it's another yeah. thing to have an experiential altogether. And I had an experiential there. Like I came out of a meditation and I'm not even ashamed to admit this. I was weeping bitterly, <laughs> crying because I thought I felt like I experienced something that was what some people might call God, what some people might call one consciousness, what might be like yeah. ultimate love and connection. I experienced this thing and it in my opinion, it forever changed the way I'm going to look at anything from this point on. I feel very, very bold stepping into the world now, knowing that there's a certain thing out there that we're all connected to and that and that thing has my back. And I don't know what that thing is. Like, I'm not even going to pretend that I even know what the right, hell that right. was. It could have been just being high off of oxygen deprivation. I don't freaking know. But <laughs> but I know I experienced something that I can't, that, that has can't motivated explain, me right? and I can't explain. Yeah. It was really, really powerful oh. for me. Yeah. There's an expression, I didn't make it up, I don't know where I got it from, but it was religion is for those who are afraid of going to hell and spirituality are for those who've been there. Mm. That, that was pretty deep. I, dig I wish that. I was smart enough to make that. Uh, spirituality <laughs> is for people who have been to hell? Is that what you're saying? No, no. Religion is religion. for those who are afraid of hell and spirituality is for those who have been there. Meaning you experienced hell, your life was shit. You yeah. had a bad upbringing, you've been raped, or whatever it might be. So you were down in the depths, and you found spirituality. You found a higher consciousness as yeah. a result of your pain. Yeah. There's something to be said about, like, you know, people who have had to fight for something, you know, whether yeah. it be, you know, fighting to, to, to find your next meal or fighting in a ring or fighting in the street right. just to, like, survive. I think there's a, there's a certain attachment to, like, the, I don't know, the 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 human condition as it is. I think a lot of us are really like disconnected from what most of the world is going through. You know, like we have first world problems and I'm never going to tell anyone that someone's problem <laughs> yeah. isn't a real problem. Right. But the reality is when you're like, when you're close to the earth and you're close to like real violence and you're really, you're close to like, you know, people that you care for could die any minute. Now you get a really different perspective on what's important. And what right. isn't, you know, like Facebook and Instagram and your, your status and your likes, that shit isn't important when you have real people that you really connect to right next to you, you know, and the fact yeah. that they're final, that they're, there's, um, they're not infinite, right? That at any given point, point, anything that's important to you could go away and being reminded of that, I think gives a certain, I don't know, importance to it. Right. You know, it's, you say that it just. Um, I, I train people from a variety of backgrounds and ec socioeconomic status, from kids in the ghetto who don't have a pot to piss in, which I pick up and drive to my gym and do all kinds of stuff with that, to people who are worth well over $100 million. Mm. Own businesses and Fortune 500 companies are the head of these companies. But anyway, one of these gentlemen um, was in my gym the other day and, and talking about your problems versus whatever, and he was talking about how he had to go drive to Cape Cod and deal with putting in this $10,000 sprinkler system. <laughs> and he's complaining about it. Now, he owns a house in the Hamptons, a house in Cape Cod, a house here in, I don't want to say it, here in central Jersey, a well-to-do town. You know, he's he, he in our conversation, he never has to work again. 
So his problem revolves around the sprinkler system being put in. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah, put it in perspective, you know. That's the, whatever it's, that's not a, look, I, I hope I have those problems. But here's know? the issue, though. Like, the, the human mind is a, is a thought generator. It's a problem solver. And when it doesn't have a problem, it, it, it needs to create a problem in order to have something to do. So it doesn't matter where you are in the world. Like you either have, if you have nothing or you have a million dollars in the bank, the There's human mind is a human mind. It's going to look for something wrong. And that's why I think the meditative practices allow us to kind of get past like the conscious mind and start to kind of dig into like who you really are and what's really, really important. Are you able to put that in practice? Man, I put it into practice every day. I, I mean, talk to a girl. Like every time I have a... <laughs> You know, anytime I have a, a conversation with a with a with a female friend or girlfriend, you know, like it gets put into practice. Anytime I have a conversation with a boss, you know, um, you definitely have that. I mean, you guys would probably agree. Like, you definitely have that when you're in a ring, you're in a fight. You know, if you, right. you know, you got your you got the enemy across the ring who's trying to take your head off, and you got the enemy inside your head that's trying to tell you you're not good enough, you didn't prepare enough, you're too tired, you're whatever. Like being able to like like fight those demons in your head and like calm them down and realize that you're actually in control of that. Like that is the final frontier as far as I'm concerned is as far as fighting. And as far as people just living more masterful lives. Uh, And and this, and and, and I guess your journey, your journey into martial arts started out from like adversity, you know, from reading your website, it said like you got bullied and, and you know, you've gone kind of, I guess as far as anyone really goes in terms of like, you know, you've, you've had, uh, mixed martial arts fights, um, which I think is, you know, the, the most level of violence that you can do in a sort of legal sanctioned way. Uh, do, do you want to tell us a bit about, about that sort of journey, you know, through the different martial arts systems that you've studied? Yeah, I, um, you know, I, I, I love martial arts. I love Bruce Lee. Like this, like I had a buddy tell me that like guys get into martial arts for pretty much three reasons. And one of them, it, it's Bruce Lee got beat up <laughs> MMA. <laughs> I mean, one of those three reasons, maybe all three of them, right? But like all three of them <laughs> yeah. pretty much influence every guy who's ever been in martial arts. Probably a lot of women too, but um, yeah. But yeah, mine was all three of them. You know, I got beat up and I was a Bruce Lee fan. And then later on, when I started training Thai boxing, um, I found MMA and realized that there's a lot more to this fighting thing than just punching and kicking. But, you know, like I was afraid as a kid, man. I was skinny. I was. A biracial kid in a black neighborhood. Right. Was that I, a big deal? So where did you grow up? Where, where did you grow up? Where in what part of the country? Grew up in Chesapeake, Virginia. Chesapeake, Virginia. Yeah. So you said you were biracial of, of, at the time. I don't know how more of an issue than probably today. And so actually, it's an issue all the time. But uh, so you, you were maybe pulled out of the crowd because of that at some level. Yeah, and you know, at the time, I never really looked at it as a big as a big deal. I just thought that's just the way the world is. Like I never <laughs> got super I, I got really hurt like emotionally hurt by being picked on but I just thought that sure. that's what human beings do you know like they they look at something that's different that doesn't look like them and they they test it out and boys do it when they're kids they they they, they push and prod at each other to see you know who's right. going to be alpha who's going to like submit who's going to be cool who's going to be able to deal with pressure and so like like even in my neighborhood and I tell this all the time like there was one white kid in the neighborhood who had it figured out. And he knew that, like, if I pick on the biracial kids, then the black kids aren't going to pick on me because we can all gang up on them. <laughs> and uh, I actually looked at it as smart. I was like, oh, he's, he's, he's pretty brilliant. Smart. Why not, he's brilliant, you know? 
He picked right. on me one one time too many, and I popped him in the mouth, and then we all became friends, and then all of us were cool. It was like that was just the way things were when we were growing up. And I'm not advocating that violence. I'm just saying that's that great. that's just the way that's just the way it was, and uh, <laughs> and that drove me into martial arts because getting beat up in my front yard, like in front of my brothers, trying to protect them, like it cemented something in me that made me like kind of afraid of the world. I didn't want to feel afraid like that anymore, and I didn't want to feel helpless. Like I got yeah. before there was UFC. I knew what the mount was because some kid came up from behind me, punched me behind the head, mounted me in my front yard and beat the lights out of me till the stars, you know, popped inside my head. And I just never wanted to feel like that again. So I eventually, you know, my parents weren't in a position to be able to do, give me martial arts when I was young. But when I went to college, I was able to find a P credit in karate. And then mm -hmm. there was an instructor in the area who was teaching Jeet Kune Do concepts because it's again, Bruce Lee fan. And he was teaching Thai boxing, C-Lot. Filipino martial arts. And, Is that Coochie? Yeah, Frank Coochie. Yep, yeah. that's it. That's it. He was my instructor. So, yeah, so because he was down there, well, yeah. So that that's where he, he kind of he, he's a very credible guy. So that's where you kind of got your start and your yeah. love and your passion. So you knew right away this shit's for me. Yeah, yeah. Like when I saw a Thai boxing fight for the first time, and I had taken karate for like a year, and we're doing point sparring and and yeah. you know katas and all that, and it was, it was cool for the culture side of it, but it just didn't feel like a real fight. And then I saw a Thai boxing fight for the first time. These guys were padded up. They got headgear on. This is in the States. And this was right when Thai boxing was kind of legal, but not really. Um, and I'm seeing these guys, like, try to knock each other out. And they're trying to, like, knee each other in the face and elbow. And I'm like, well, shit, that's scary. That's, that's scary, <laughs> yeah, man. That's like my front yard. Yeah, that's like my front yard. Like, I guess I got to go towards that, you know? Like, so down the rabbit hole I went. And, then, you know, I told myself I'd do one fight. And next thing you know, it turned into, like, a 20-year career. And. Nice. And here I'm talking to you guys. So, what, did did you get out to Thailand, March? Did you ever fight out there? I did not fight in Thailand, but I went to Thailand um, twice in 2010. That's when I got promoted to uh, Ajahn, a master teacher, when I was mm -hmm. out there. Okay. And yeah. I got to coach when I was out there. I was on this like really cheesy reality show called Tough Girls. <laughs> yeah, I read that. Yeah, yeah. Tell us about that. Oh my god, that was. Um, that was an eye-opening experience. So watching Ties do like a, a you know, Master Tidy was my instructor, and he was part yeah. of that show on Oxygen Network called Fight Girls, and and it had like people like um, you know Gina Carano was up there, and Lisa King, which was a former fighter with with Master Tidy, and uh, Felice Herring, you know Felice Herring for the UFC. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yes. she's she's one of the she's a one fifteen pounder. She was on that show, and Tidy wanted to do his own show in Thailand. And so he did this low budget thing where he hired a bunch of Thai guys and got some cameras and had them following us around on bikes. And we had a coach like, you know, here's the original idea. A bunch of girls show up in one house, train together, live together, have to fight each other for a chance at a title. Original, right? Uh -huh. Sounds yeah. familiar? Yeah. Sounds a little familiar? Yeah. So I was there for six weeks filming that. I met some really cool people, but yeah. it, it, was, it was a shit show. <laughs> it was a shit show. How did you find the training in Thailand? Because I, I went to Thailand in I think it was April this year, and did the, I only did about a week a week's worth of Muay Thai training over there. But what what amazed me, and I, I hadn't been to Thailand for about ten years before that, it was um, was there's a, a Muay Thai gym everywhere, yeah. and a lot of, a lot of guys are just going there for fitness. Um, I, I don't know where maybe it's maybe it's getting watered down. But that said. If you go into any of the stadiums, the fights were great yeah. to watch. How, how did you find it out there? <clears throat> so I kind of studied the time. I've studied the time method for, you know, 20 years. 
And the one thing that I kind of equated Thai method to was like um, wrestling in the United States for boxing. Like wrestlers get good by wrestling, right? Yeah. They start when yeah, they're yeah, young yeah. and they train all week and then they wrestle all the time. And by the time they're retired, they've had 100, 200, 300 matches. Same thing in Thailand, right? Um, yeah. I think the Thai method is good in the sense that it helps preserve the body. You know, they don't spar hard. They do a lot of heavy Thai pad work, a lot of heavy clinch. And then they fight all the time. And I think that a lot of Americans think that they can go over to Thailand and pull some mystic energy from the Thai culture and learn how to fight. When the reality mm-hmm. is, if you didn't start young and you're not going to fight every other week, and you're not going to live in a gym for six or seven days, then you're not going to get as good as a tie. That's just the reality yeah. of that. You know, if you're not going to have that level of commitment, it's and the ties don't fight the same as like the Americans or the Europeans. You know, like they, you know, ties fight one slow round and then they build up, and the the gambling sets the pace of the fight. In you know Europe and the United States, you fight from bell to bell. Bell rings. You know, like I'm I'm getting paid by the task, not by the hour. So if I knock you out in round one, then I win the fight. In Thailand. They encourage a slower thing because the betting runs everything. So I think I've had fighters go over and train in that method and come back right, here yeah. and think they're going to get some slow methodical fight and they get knocked out in round one because the other right. guy didn't have that 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 agreement, you know. Yeah, that's great. And so I, I think I love the Thai method in the sense that it keeps bodies preserved because that's what they have to. It's like, look, we can't get hurt in the gym because we got to go fight yeah. for money. But you have to tweak it for the, the sake of people outside of, of Thailand, in my opinion. I've, I've found, like, watching it sometimes, I've, I've sometimes seen superior boxing from the Westerners who fight out there. And for me, Muay Thai is worse is when you get two two guys, they're literally square in front of each other and they're just kicking each other over and over again. You know, they're not moving around like you would expect to see in a sort of, I, I guess, a street fight kind of environment. Yeah. Um, but then there's, then some of the stuff, I mean, at the top level, it's just incredible what they do in terms of, you know, the, the elbows and the knees in particular. It's just next level. Yeah, it's a brutal sport, man. And I, but one thing I, I will equate um, to Thai boxing is that it's a, it's a sport that's still constantly evolving because it's constantly put under pressure. Um, I had this talk with uh, a guy named Marcio who used to coach like Vandale Silva and a lot of the guys, Anderson Silva and shoot box guys. And he teaches a Thai boxing style to the to his group that looks nothing like the Thai boxing that I trained. And I asked him, like, why? He was like, well, you know, because the arena that we fight in is different than the Thai arena. We're not fighting in a small ring. We're not fighting under this, like, social agreement that we're going to stand pretty much in front of each other and only move enough in order to fight. We're fighting in a big cage. We've got to cover massive distances. And we have to deal with takedowns and, 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 and you know, different time limits. So the art has to change based upon the stressor that's put upon it. And Thailand is, Thai boxing has always done that. Before it was Thai boxing and it was Muay Boron and Muay Chaya, it looked completely different. You had deeper stances. You had people switching stances. You had people using weapons and there were some takedowns and there was a little bit of wrestling involved because it was for a battlefield. When they put it in a ring, it changed. And now when you put it in a cage, it changes. And you put it on a cop, that has armor is going to change. It's 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 going to mold based upon the pressure that's put upon it, rather than just trying to like keep this false idea of traditional Thai boxing. Like what you know, right. what the hell is traditional fighting? Like fighting's fighting. People in Thailand fought because they needed to either protect their country, or they needed to eat, or they needed to win a title. So if it works, the Thais are going to do it. 
Yeah. You know, there's no, there's yeah. no romanticism behind what they do. It's like, if it's working, then we're going to do it. If it doesn't work, we're not going to do it because we're not going to eat. We're not going to survive as a result of it. So. And I've seen you, you've produced like books and DVDs on, on, on kind of strategies for Muay Thai fighters. Um, uh, th- th- those look real exciting. Is that, it, do you want to just mention that for the listeners? Because that, that can all be found on your website, right? Yeah, we, I did a, a Muay Thai strategic uh, series just recently, which is just kind of addressing like the tactical usage of Thai boxing for like street self-defense and some of the differences between that and, you know, sport, sport combat. Um, and I've been fortunate enough to like have students who are police and law enforcement, people done with special, special forces and, and, to go ahead and clarify, I'm not going to be, I'm not one of those guys to say like, well, I've trained Navy SEALs and all that. No, I've had a lot of friends who have trained with me <laughs> and have passed on valuable information that have allowed me to like tweak what I have for them. Right. Like I'm not trying to sell like Panther production videos for, for the SEALs. Panther. You remember them? <laughs> I do. How do you remember Panther at all? Panther production, uh, man. So back in the eighties, uh, like when you were Dating born to so what happened yeah, is I was, I was doing martial arts and there was yeah. there was no internet, there's nothing. You got black belt magazine that would come out once a month, right? And mm-hmm. or maybe inside Kung Fu, some of these other shit magazines at the time. <laughs> and um there was Panther videos and it would be like fifty bucks for like forty minutes of material. Yeah. <laughs> you and it quite off more often than not, it would let you down. Yeah, more often there than was not. no it was money horrible. shot. <laughs> horrible. There was no money shot. Yeah, like. in general, they, they, so I think I even might have one or two floating around. But good lord, what a throwback! Well, even man. my instructor was on Panther Productions. That's why I kind of initially I heard about him through a guy, and then I looked in like a freaking Kung Fu magazine, and I saw him in the back with like you know camel pants on and a collared shirt, and he's like kneeing some guy in the face and putting him in an yeah. arm bar. And I'm like, oh man, sweet! I'm gonna go train with that guy. Yeah, <laughs> you know, he's right. it was easier to probably be a star back then, and, and then yeah. that, that's so funny. So you know, trained with these guys, and I heard him. I was listening to you interview Coop, and you made it. You you pretty, pretty much were always a combat sports guy, uh, and I guess you're, you're working with guys in the military and police, and you're, the variety of people you get to train with brings in another light. So you're able to make that adjustment because it is different fighting. If you're a cop with gear between two cars and a pit bull there, it's a different fight than you and I in the ring together. Absolutely. And you're able to make that adjustment. And you have to because you wouldn't be doing them service if you taught them yeah. pure whatever it was, even pure boxing. Yeah, I, I think all instructors have to be in a constant state of exploration of their, their craft. Good like, point. They can't get to a point, my, in my opinion, you can't get to a point where you think you have it figured out because we live in a world that evolves, constantly right. evolving the 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 terrain that we're having to navigate is constantly changing and we have to be able to change with it. And a lot of that means like you got to take your ego aside and have a, have a conversation with the people that you want to teach. Like, you know, I I don't know anything about like clearing a room, right? I've done some, I've done some like tactical work with people and I've been taught it, but that's not my thing. That's not what I, I, I I do on a regular basis. So when I'm teaching them, I will have a conversation with them like, hey, you know, th- does this fit what you're you're going to have to do? That's good. You know? And if it doesn't, then let's have a conversation about how we can make this work for you guys. Because at the end of the day, if it doesn't work for you, then I'm not doing you any service. Like, I don't need you to go do my tie boxing in order to save your ass. I need you to do whatever you need to do to save your ass. I'm right. augmenting what you already do. And I just think people have to be honest with that, you know, like 
there's, there's guys out there that have these systems that are like, okay, well, now I live and die by this system because this system is my ego. This is, right. this is my magnum opus. If this thing dies, then I die with it. Right. And it's like, look, man, at the end of the day, it's just a name you put on a thing that human beings have been doing since day one, which is day one. Yeah. So even though that's interesting, so even though you teach Muay Thai, Muay Thai would be your first love. Would that be fair to say? Or is that a, and, and it, it, go ahead. No, I, I guess it would be, you know, like I got my black belt in jujitsu in September and I've always had a love hate nice. relationship. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Nice. Last, last, um, yeah, a year ago now, wow. a year ago. And, but, and I fought MMA and all that. I, I, I really think that JKD was like my, my, my true craft, my true art. And Thai boxing mm-hmm. was the thing that caught me right off the bat because it felt like at the time, the thing that adhered to the original JKD principles. You know, just absorbing what is useful, rejecting what is useless and adapting what is specifically your own. Um, when we had to fight people full contact, then there was you had to create an art that worked for your body. You, you know, people were I remember I had a coach telling me and I was super inflexible when I was like 22, 23. Uh, I mean, I'm not I'm no Jean-Claude Van Damme now, but, you know, like, like, <laughs> I definitely was a tight hip dude back when I was 22, 23. <laughs> And I was a low kicker, man. Like I would chop the hell out of somebody's legs all day. But I remember a coach of mine going up to me in the corner and, and I'm kicking this guy in the legs and he's dropping his hands. And I go back in the corner and say, all right, now what I need you to do is kick him in the head. I want you to look low and kick high. And I looked down and I'm like, have you trained with me in the last three months? You watched me stretch before, right? Like, you know, you might as well ask a freaking brick to throw a round kick high. Like it was... It just wasn't going to happen. I had to like make modifications based upon my body. So I think I think the JKD concepts is would be my base. But then after that, Thai boxing's been been my baby. You know, it's the thing I always you know, came back people, to. People have asked me, and I I don't know what they'd answer. I have an idea, and maybe Tom, you have an idea. If someone they put you, if you had to teach somebody one thing, or if you had to give everything up, everything, and only teach one style or one system for whatever reason. Would there be one, or could you even make that decision? Yeah, I would cheat and say MMA. <laughs> <laughs> that is fucking cheating, dude. <laughs> that was not a cheat. good answer. I would yeah. cheat and say MMA. MMA right? That's tough. Like, well, uh, I ask, how about if someone comes in and goes, and you're, we, I don't know if you're teaching something, like, where should I start? Yeah. Like, how many yeah. no shit? Where do I start? Uh, it all depends on where you want to go. It, most, look, right? I, people... Like, I don't even ask them what are your goals because they don't fucking know. No. I'm going to have to show them what they need to do. Because yeah. I know most people come in and have no clue what they want to do or what they're willing to experience and stuff like that. So you kind of have to gently guide them in those. I'll, I'll, give, I'll give my view, which no, none of the listeners care about. <laughs> they do, Tom. I'm getting uh, the phone's uh, ringing off the hook. Yeah. <laughs> for me, for me, it's just it, ultimately it's just fighting. And the the... What I, what I would take is the JKD mindset because, you know, what Tim Tackett talks about is that bullshit, you know, filter and um, just def- finding what works um, versus what doesn't, testing. Um, right. and, and then, you know, it is, it is just fighting. You just put a different name on it or a different weapon in your hand or a different set of rules, but it, it's all just fighting. So, so I, I, I would like to use the JKD thing of sort of saying, you know, it's the, the style of no style. Yeah, I mean, because at the end of the day, the styles are constructs that we created, right? Like, they're constructs that, you know, they only look the way they look because there's certain rule sets and, and regulations on the expression of it, right? Like, yeah. 
you say, okay, Thai boxing, and you go, okay, well, Thai boxing means that I can kick legs, I can kick heads, I can knee and elbow, but I can't do certain throws, and the fight has to stop when we get to the ground, and you have to pop back up. So the, the fight's going to look a certain way, but at the end of the day, if you took Thai boxing and say, okay, well, we're going to allow you to grapple for one minute on the ground. You know, let's okay. just say that. It's going to change the art, and now oh. that thing is going to change based upon the rule sets, you know? So right. I, I think that, I mean, it's, a, it's always a good like intellectual question, but end of the day, I tell take take a top box and put him out there in the street and let him get attacked by three guys. Yeah, like he's just gonna do whatever it takes to knock those three guys out. And some of it may yeah. not look anything like top boxing. It might look like right. a get right. a windmill, right. you know, like right. He might just close if, his eyes and start swinging. You know. Right. If if I go back to that co- the the show you had with Mick Coop, which is a real real interesting show, but um, the talking about the importance of combat sports because combat sports going back to what you said is, you know, you get those rounds, you get that sparring. So you become, you become a very good fighter in whatever discipline that you're doing. And I think, you know, from, from my JKD experience, everyone wants to be an instructor and they're not focusing on being as good a fighter as they should be. And Krav Maga is another interesting one where you're saying like, you know, look, it's, we do combatives and it's um, real and this and the other. But again, they're, Every video you watch, they're always fighting an idiot. It's always the guy that you know swings a super big Superman punch on a Saturday night, and you engage it in a certain way. Um, and you know, again, again, that's not as realistic as just doing a load of boxing. You you know, you wouldn't beat, for example, Jim's fighter scrap in a fight because he's just an incredible boxer, yeah. and, and he only does boxing. Yeah, this is, this is something I've always wanted to ask um, different people, like. What is it about human beings that want to romanticize everything that we do? You know, like we want to turn a fighting art into a religion, like something that you just like wholeheartedly believe that's going to be the truth and, and nothing but the truth. That it's going to be, you know, easier than anybody else is saying that everybody else is a liar and that we are the ones that are going to take care of you. Like, what do you think is that thing in the human condition that makes people want to do that? Because I've seen like very smart people, you know, scientists, biologists, you know, go train garbage and suspend mm-hmm. their belief that this thing is going to work when they have a highly intellectual mind that would tell them otherwise in their other professions. What do you think that is? Their ego. Yeah. I think it boils down to your ego. On every I, level. I, think, I think also people come very wed to what they've done in the past. So if, you, if you've done something, you can't ever go and say, yeah, but that th- thing that I did for 10 years was bullshit. It was a waste of fucking time. <laughs> Yeah. Right. So you have to justify it. Yeah. We can justify anything. Bad habits, well, whatever it might be. Of course, you're justifying it. Well, I spent 20 years doing this martial art or doing this thing and found out it was a waste. Yeah. I mean, you saw people in the, the, the first UFC, the first two UFCs, right. they, were, they, were, they were met with a crisis, you know? Like, totally. I used to totally. this red sash kung fu guy come out. He's been doing kung fu for like 30 years. He's been on mountains. He's punched you know, bricks and set in the cold and fought off that. And then he gets out there and gets strangled by this little scrangly, scrangly Brazilian guy. But, and now you're yeah, like, everybody's yeah. got to go, well, man, this guy just beat up God. What, what, what's, right. what's next for me now? You know? Yeah. And in any other way, any other profession, that wouldn't even be a thing. Like if you saw a boxer go in a ring and get his ass beat and he's a good boxer, but he got beat that day, he wouldn't be like, oh man, Everything I know about boxing is bullshit. Like, no, I had a bad fight. I had bad information. And now I need to go, like, 
correct that information with good information and fight better later on. That's right. You wouldn't, you wouldn't think that way about it. But for whatever right. reason, we think that one with martial arts. <laughs> now, after all this, so you got you got all the all. Geez, you have a ton of stuff. Your website's great, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I really do. I, like I did none of it. <laughs> I have a great. <laughs> I got a great web guy. Multiple guys um, do my site, and they all equally suck. <laughs> I'm into the world, and they, they're you know they're working out of their mom's basement. That's the problem. Yeah. But it's online, so we got the MTU uh, University uh, uh, online university. So that. So when you, you sign up for that, that's a ton of lessons of everything from punching, kicking, elbowing. Yeah. Like, Muay Thai. Yeah. Like, like my Thai boxing, my Muay Thai university started off as like a, a project that I needed to put in my own gym to make my instructors better instructors. Because I, I found that like, you know, just because you're a fighter doesn't necessarily mean you know how to teach. Not at all. Yeah, it's usually it's often the opposite, right? Absolutely. Like there's guys that can, man, they can fight, but they can't. They can't teach a rock how to stand still. And I, I thought that I wanted to create a program that was a leadership development program that just so happened to be using Thai boxing as a as a modality. So teaching people how to effectively communicate, getting them to understand who they are as a person, and then from that from that place of understanding who they are, then they can lead from a solid base. And that was the intention, just to get my guys trained up. And what eventually, eventually ended up happening is more and more people wanted, wanted that leadership. They wanted to learn how to be better teachers. Um, right. I was resistant to doing a teacher training program or certification course because, you know, they get looked at really suspect in the Thai boxing world. Sure, no doubt. Know? I mean, in any world. In any world, Especially. right? But there was a need, uh, right? There was a need for leadership, and, and, and I, I needed to fill that void. It felt... It felt it felt like a good move for me, and people were responding to it well. And it's just become a thing that I've been really passionate about. How long was the process of putting? All, I mean, that's a massive undertaking. Yeah, you know, if you're training for like the crew is like teacher in Thai boxing, right? And in my system, it takes four years of dedicated training in order to do that. I have people who come in with me that have previous experience that don't take as long. But if you're starting from scratch and you're working from like day one to to year four. Is usually what it's going to take, and I award like you know rewards in between, kind of like the Ana Santo system. You know, like we have a coach level, we have an an, an apprentice level, just right. to kind of get people short term goals. But you know, yeah. ultimately, if a person really wants to be a teacher under me, that just means that him and there, I'm going to have to have a relationship with that person. I don't want right. to give anybody a rank, and and honestly, I feel that that is what rank is in any system. It's not about necessarily how good you are, although that should be a factor if you're training 10 years in something you should be good at it i think that you should be at least be good at it that doesn't necessarily mean you're good at fighting but you're good at that thing yeah but well here's an interesting question for you though it was i was having this conversation with so you have this guy or girl whatever they are and they essentially know all the material they're able to teach the material but let's say they only perform it at let's say a c level Mm. You know, because not every student's going to be an A student. That's just not every student's going to be a world champion fighter, right? Yeah. So, you know, is it possible to be? I'm, I'm, I have, in my opinion, a good. Is it possible for not just your system, any system, online or instruction guy you're teaching personally, to get that level of crew or instructor or whatever it is, with not necess- with having some physical limitations? So the the short answer is yes, it's possible, right? Um, okay. The long answer is they're not going to 
the process of them going towards that thing in a, in a course of four years is going to change them in some capacity, right? They're going to be they're going to have to face certain challenges that means they're going to have to step up outside of who they are and become a little bit better at what they do. Mm-hmm. They also have to set the reality of like who are they going to coach? What kind of student are they going to be working on? Are they going to be working with fighters? Are they going to be working with like the average person on the street? Um, are they working with law enforcement? That's going to come become a factor as far as like where their their ceiling is. Um, but ultimately, a rank is just someone's amount of you know um, dedication to the craft for a period of time. Someone goes to college, for example, and gets a bachelor's degree in in, in you know biology, for example. Is that bi- is that bachelor's degree going to be the same as the person who got like the four or the person who is going to eventually go on to become a doctor? Right. I mean, on no. paper, yes. On paper, yes, they're getting the same degree, but they're going to be a completely different different instructor. I don't think that you should give out instructorships just because people put time in. No, no, I agree. Everyone should be able to go through a crucible based upon their own, you know, experience level, their own ability. But, you know, this world needs different types of leaders and a leader needs to be someone that you can relate to, right? The reality is the grandma down the street that's even interested in doing some type of martial art might look at a fit guy and go like, man, that guy's great. But I can't see myself in that person. So yeah. we need, you know, older instructors. We need people who, you know, are, are women. We need people that are black. We need people that are different, different types so that people can look at them and go, okay, I can become that. That gives me something to strive for. I think that's just extremely important. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Mm. Now you have, you have, oh, geez, you got all kinds. Of, the, um, the Muay Thai coaches, this is just an ongoing thing or is this just done at your place? You go all over and do seminars with the Muay Thai coaches and, Seminars. Yeah, yeah I'm a traveling. I'm a, I'm a little bit of a gypsy man. Like, <laughs> I take my show on the road. I, I had a gym for a while, and I, you know, having a, a brick and mortar gym just didn't suit my, the lifestyle I wanted to have. So I go yeah. to different. So you gyms. don't have a brick and mortar gym now? No, wherever I'm at, like I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina, right now, or I live in Gastonia, but I travel to Charlotte, and you know, I'm 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 teaching out of a gym here. And, you know, if this, this journey ends here, then I go to the next place. But I have a network of people that no matter where I go, I generally have a home. I find a way. Mm. And, Sounds like a good lifestyle. Yeah, yeah not, I'm not too shabby. Not too shabby. Not uh, too shabby. Fuck, I, I wanted to get on to talking about podcasts because that was part of the reasons yeah. I, I wanted you to come on this show. Uh, so I've got, I've got various questions and that, that some of them might be a bit quick fire or you might want to give, you know, give as long an answer as, as you want. But I was just wondering, have you ever been interviewed for a podcast before or we'd like the first? Um, I was interviewed once by a guy named Sean Fagan who did a podcast called The Muay Thai Guy. Okay. Uh, that was several years ago. That would have been about back, back in 2011, 2012, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That was the first time. Uh, and what, what kind of like made you think? you do a podcast now what was the inspiration so my inspiration is purely selfish <laughs> like <laughs> it's purely selfish man like i like I having like to hear myself talk yeah <laughs> i like to hear myself talk <laughs> my beautiful voice um That's it. i have i i've had really good conversations over the course of my life that i wished i had recorded i wish right. i had recorded so because i think man i learned a lot about that but i don't remember all of it and i wish i would have recorded it and then it's like yeah maybe somebody else would like like what i'm what i'm talking about so that was really what started it, it was like I, I like i want to be able to talk to as many interesting people as possible and then i want to share it and i was like okay well this yeah. is fairly fairly easy i recorded i 
plug it, plug and play, and and then people get to have the benefit of the conversations that I'm I'm fortunate enough to have. That's really it. Jim, actually, I don't even know. You started to write this. This used to just be a radio show, and now we've got it as a podcast as right. well. But Jim, right. what inspired you to do this? I don't even know that. <laughs> I don't fucking know. <laughs> so this is on the radio before? I, yeah, that was, yeah. Um, we're on a radio station now, Hamilton Radio. Mm. Um, I just, look, I, I have the gift of gab. I'm a good bullshitter, so I can talk. <laughs> Hey, yeah. I, you know, and I know, and, and by the way, so we did the show years ago, and it doesn't matter. So the comeback, if it was that, right, we have a lot of conversations, like you said, Buck, off there, and Tom and I have been friends for years, and and we actually met as a result of training with similar people in seminar format, and uh, I just said, you know, just over, you know, drinking beer with Tom at the at the pub in yeah. in, in, in Belgium, you know. Yes. <laughs> You know, and we go, this is it's entertaining. It's fun. We always have a good time. And, and I said, well, let's kind of do it. And uh, so then I, we facilitated it and it kind of happened. But that was it. There was no, I'm not sure that anything I have to say is that important. But, uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> it's entertaining, though. No, it's entertaining. What do you see as your sort of like unique selling point? Like what, what's the niche of your podcast? So the name of it is The Fight Focus. And from face value, it, it looks more like a, a combat art type. Thing, you know, it does. <laughs> yeah. And most yeah. of it is, but like I am, I'm seeking like, like the, what does the idea of fighting mean to, to the human condition and like how, how is overcoming like obstacles like that and fighting for something? Why does it matter? You know, right. like, like I, it initially turned into this, like, oh, I'm going to do law enforcement and fighters in the ring and all that. But you know, like I'm having psychologists on the show now because I'm like, everybody's, yeah. you know, my friend Ryan Hoover has a saying that fit the fight. It's like everybody's fighting something, right? Like, you know, people get up in the morning, they're trying to fight something. They're trying to get to work. They're trying to like figure out how they're going to live. They're trying to be more worthy or whatever that is. And fighting is something that we innately do as a human species. And I think we're kind of out of touch of that as a whole, as a society. It's, it's so... It's so taboo that we like shy away from it. But then when we shy away from it, it builds up in people. And then it becomes yeah. these perverse things like people shooting up schools or, you know, getting into road rage and like hurting people as a result of it. It turns into these like things when if like we would just embrace the idea that as peaceful as we are as people, we're also violent and we need to be able to express that and we need to be able to deal with it like out front. Like we yeah. would be a better place if if people just did that more. And so just having, even just having a discussion about it is a starting point as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And I don't know if I'm going to change the world. Like I got, you know, if, if nobody's listening to about my podcast, I'm going to do it because I'm having fun. But, but there you go. It's your <laughs> yeah, terrible, I'm getting something out of it. So. <laughs> and you've kind of embraced controversy in some of the, some of the episodes. I mean, I was listening to one where there's, there's apparently a fighting arm of CrossFit. And there was a guy who sort of With defending the video to come out. Um, oh my god! And there's a few other few other interviews. I think I think Mick's a relatively controversial figure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I he, he does back up everything he says. Sure. Um, no doubt. Is that something you're looking for, or you just feel that's come out of the shows? You know, like I don't pick sides, so I would love to be able to talk to people that are controversial just to start a dialogue, just to start a conversation. Like it would be my dream to get some no touch, like knockout guy on the show. 
for example. <laughs> yeah, that is, I love those videos. Maybe he can knock you out through the internet. You know, like, and just like, <laughs> like, you really have a conversation about, like, really? Does this, do you really think this works? You know, just to have the dialogue with them. Um, yeah. And play kind of a, like a like a United Nations front on it because I just want people to have more conversation. I think that when you get stuck in certain groups, you only you, there's a little bit of an echo chamber, and people within that echo chamber only talk about the same stuff and they only validate each other's opinions. And then when you start getting people from different sides of the pond looking at each other, then it's just a gunfight, and they're just kind of yeah. like trying to prove each other wrong. And I'm like, I'd like to have a show where I can have people from all sides of the equation get on it and they talk. And then it's up to the people listening to, to derive their own opinion based upon these people having a voice. So how, how do you find your guests? You seek them out or do they seek you out? Um, every so often I get someone to seek me out, but mostly it's just me being just curious. Bold, bold, just, bold. Right. Like the worst thing I can say is no. Oh, right. <laughs> I've had lots of girls tell me now. Yeah, I'm a little (laughs) used to that. (laughs) A lot of have you got a dream guest? I would love to have Faraz Sahabi on the show. I'd love to have Faraz Faraz Sahabi is uh, the coach of George St. Pierre. He's he's, he's his main coach. He's a he's a deeply philosophical guy. He Um, is a little off the charts. He's a little off the charts. He's a little bit. I'm not saying that's bad, but. No, but he's way on that other end of the spectrum. Oh, no doubt. Um, he's way on that other end of the spectrum. It would be one of those conversations where I would feel like I'd need to go prep for it. You know, like I need to go kind of read up on some stuff and be like, okay, I need to show up at, at my highest self to make sure that this conversation goes well. Um, so, yeah, he would, be, he would be a guy I'd love to have on the show for sure. And what would you say is like sort of your number one question? If you had like one question you had to ask like every guest, what, what would be that question? generally it comes down to like why do you believe in what you believe like there are people in this world who believe exactly the opposite of what you do exactly the opposite that will literally in, say in terms of fighting in anything really like i mean yeah definitely with fighting for sure but you know some people have viewpoints like tony blower was probably one of the most controversial figures that I had on my show. And yeah. that conversation was a difficult one for me because I didn't really get an opportunity to speak. He did most of the talking on the show. Ooh, God damn it. I was going to listen to that show this morning. Yeah. God, pissed he, off. I didn't do it now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was, not, I'm listening to a bunch. Like I've been listening for the, the week and I hadn't gotten to that one yet. Fuck yeah, me. Been giving Jim homework. Of shows uh, homework, man. That one was a lot of pressure because I had guys on my team who were anti-Tony and they wanted me to ask questions to basically see like if we could shoot them down. And then I had people that were pro-Tony that were like, hey, you need to, you know, show him in his highest light. And I'm sitting in the middle going like, I just want to keep a neutral ground and let the discussion go where it goes. And I made the fatal mistake of going live on Facebook with it. Where there's people Ooh, did you? diving in, man, I'll never do it again. Yeah, we don't do that, <laughs> man. Nope, never. Because Tom likes to be naked during the show. Yeah, kind of... that's the way to go, man. Rock out, rock out. Insert the rest of that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> in the beginning of the show. Oh, yeah, no, but that was hard, man, because it was like, like. I, Tony has some stuff that, like, he believes in that, once again, he has people that are, like, diehards about him. And he has other people that, like, this is bullshit. Like, it is absolute bullshit. And to hear someone, like, 
explain like why do you believe in what you believe when half the world thinks you're a fake, a phony, a fraud, or doesn't believe in it at all? Like why do you believe in what you believe? And I want to hear people's opinions on that. Yeah. Yeah. Right now, so did you? So I show when you're interviewing Tony or whoever it might be, and, and do you go right back at them and, and challenge them on something? You just kind of listen to what they say and. It's it's a dance, isn't it? It is a dance, and and you know, like a dance, both people have to be willing participants, right? I would rather have conversations. I'm not. I would too. I'm right. not trying to have debates. I mean, if if a conversation turns into a debate, for sure. But I would rather have a back and forth rapport when we're both having a discussion about something rather yeah. than I don't like it being an, you know, I don't mind an interview, but I would rather it be a conversation rather than you know it's scripted and this is what we say and then. You know, showing up going like, oh, man, I'm going to rebut everything that he has. Let's just see what he's going to do. Like, I'm just not that guy. You know, right. you need somebody else for that, 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 that role. Yeah, I think right. that people are smart enough that if you let someone talk long enough, then they will speak the truth to you and you'll be able to figure it out. And I don't I, have to pull it out of you. you long form stuff like podcasts, for example, people right. are, can talk as long as they want. And they, if you let them talk long enough, they'll hang themselves. <laughs> yeah, that's you know, right, that's or right. they'll 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 set themselves free. Either way, man, like I'll let them talk. Interesting. Now, on a side note, you you seem pretty open minded on a lot of things. Um, like, and one of the expressions, I don't I have no idea where I picked it up. I have to think about that, but I've, I've used it that when I train in martial arts and just in life in general, try to be just try to be open to everything and attached to nothing. Sure. Um. And it seems like you come from that cloth. Am I wrong? Um, and I'm constantly pursuing that. Right. I'm not always successful. I have my bias too, and I try of to pay course. attention to my bias. Like if there's something that I'm saying, you know, I agree to just because it's my experience. Right. And but most of this year, for example, most of my life, for example, has been um, exploration. Like I'm, I'm exploring different ways of moving, different ways of thinking, different ways of fighting to yeah. seek whatever might be a universal truth or what is a truth more like more for myself and 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 try to like disprove any type of like myth that I might have in my head that something is absolute because I found that most things are not. Most things that you think are like absolute truths really aren't. If you put them in a different context, you put anything in a different context, it can be both true and completely false at the same time. And so I'm exploring, man. I'm, I'm doing my best. Nice. On, on that note, have you had any guests that have sort of changed the way you think? Like we had a guest, uh, Mike Gillette, who's a strong man, and he said some a few interesting things that changed my perspective on, I guess, my attitude to training, etc. Have you, you had any guests on the show that have really sort of um, changed the way you think about things? Mm. I yes yes I, I I try to pull something at least one thing from 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 each person, and which is generally why I try to take notes, you know, while I'm doing my podcast, just so I can remember <laughs> what the hell I'm talking about when I do my intros and stuff. Um, I had Caitlin Young on the show twice, which is a you know pro pro kickboxer, pro Thai boxer, mm -hmm. and I found that she she says some pretty profound things about. Um, fighting that kind of changed my perspective of of how I looked at even Thai boxing. Um, really? Yeah, like even the even the idea that um, 
like classical Thai boxing, for example, is a really good um, segue to mixed martial arts because of the clinching aspect of it. But not only the clinching aspect of it, that the reward system in Thai boxing encourages certain behavior. Um, Balance, for example, is very highly scored in Thailand. From the moment that they do their ramoy, their dance, to the moment that they step into the ring when they throw a kick, like impeccable balance is scored as high as a clear and effective strike. Wow. And that any fighter that like fights chaotic, they don't reward. Like if you come out swinging wildly, they just don't reward that behavior because they think that being of balance, not only physically, but mentally and emotionally is a, a key component to someone being um, a masterful fighter. And that kind of, that kind of stuck with me on mm-hmm. a, on a deeper, on That's a deeper level. True. Also, uh, the la- and then the last thing that was even more so was that the entire thing is a show. The, the entire thing from the beginning to the end is a show. So when you step in the ring and you do your dance, you're on stage and they're judging you. When you're in the ring fighting, yeah. they're judging you. When you walk back to the corner, how you're handling yourself in the corner is also being judged. And this this idea of like being a constantly present when you're on, like when you step on the yeah. ring. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like when you step into yeah, like yeah, any yeah, environment yeah. and you think nobody's watching, guess what? Somebody's watching you all the Somebody's time. Somebody's watching and when you show yourself under pressure and you look cool, but then when you're behind the scenes, you're falling apart, then that also speaks to your character as well. And that right. was really profound. She was just talking about fighting, but I was like, okay, well, that applies to nearly everything that I do. Right. So that really stuck out for me. That's awesome. Um, Buck, we sent you a bit of homework. Um, we asked if you could like listen to our show and maybe give us a little critique. Oh, did you <laughs> yeah, do that? Tom? Yeah. Wait, Tom, yeah. did you send it back? Yeah. You did? Okay, so Buck, let's go back. So when Tom was telling me about awesome. you being yep. on the show, because Tom seems to be our booking agent, <laughs> and, uh, uh, and, uh, and he's doing a marvelous job. And, uh, and I had suggested that I'll just send him a shit, send him a show that we did, and see what he thinks yeah. about it. Man, I, man, I like... You, know, can you, you, you can do you be brutally honest. I'll try not to cry. <laughs> I like the lighthearted approach to a lot of the conversations, man. Like yeah. Going back to what I was saying before, like I, I, my favorite podcasts are the ones where people look like they're just like sitting at a bar having a beer and there you discussing go. something. And I think you guys do that really, really well. Thank and then at you. the same time, you're you're still approaching, you're still covering topics that are of interest to people, or at least in, people of interest in this this field. I I wanted to yeah. ask, like, there seems to be. A, a, a prevailing thing about JKD. Are you both JKD guys? We are, and That's we just right. happen to know a lot of JKD guys. Okay. I do a lot. I've been doing shit for forty-five years. I've done nice. everything. <laughs> nice, but. Yeah, so there's a, that's how we know is through the JKD world, and we happen to know a lot of people in it. And that was an interesting thing that you bring up because Tom is always afraid that we would be known as a JKD a JKD podcast or a radio show, and we didn't want that. Because we don't want to be, we don't want to alienate anyone, right? Yeah. How do you think we have? No, I. Well, because you brought it up, I think that's an interesting way to look at it. Yeah, yeah, and I've I've been playing around with this with my podcast too because I, I don't, I got to a point where I'm like, man, this podcast is going to look like a tactical podcast. Like everybody's like a 
Krav Maga, former Krav Maga, former Israeli, former da 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 And I'm like, man, I want to cover so many other topics, but it looks like there's like a theme. And I just started paying attention to the theme. And it's nothing wrong with it, but it's people are going to look at it and go, oh, well, it's about this thing. So they're going to put you in categories. And like, what is the category that you guys want to be in? What what would you say your show's about? I don't mean we want to be in any any category, really. I mean, we want to be like, you know, the fight game in its entirety. So that, 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 that is combat sports um you're kind of more combative side of things and then we want to have that mindset element which you know you've you've talked very articulately about today and and that that we want to cover that spectrum it's what's difficult is you know my base is jkd so if i go and do like muay thai i do it with jkd eyes on um and that's if i came to your gym and and you were like no i want you to go um orthodox rather than southport i would I would, pro- I would respect that. And I'd probably just go orthodox anyway out of respecting you and your system. But the way I, you know, my, my base is JKD. So, I, you know, even when I do weapons, I'm going to have some sort of stance. You know, if, if, I, if I was shooting, I'd probably form some sort of martial arts stance rather than doing, you know, the, the uh, whatever they call the isosceles triangle that, that they do now in shooting. But so um, yeah. that that's the difficulty. But then, you know, as I say, we don't, whilst we have loads of JKD connections, these guys have done loads of other things and um, we don't want to be the JKD podcast. And and, we've and done you're, a lot you're, of shows on the mind, spirit, the body, all that kind of stuff. There's yeah. a, it's a, exactly. You were talking about Sean Fagan, who was just doing Muay Thai. I mean, you know, you're going down to a smaller and smaller market, I think, sure. if you just do one style. Right. Yeah, it limits your, 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 your conversation. I, I've just found that, like, I'm very... I feel very fortunate that I came from a JKD background because it kind of allow. I think it allows me to speak to different types of people, you know, like I I would never tell someone if they were Southpaw to come in and do Orthodox because ultimately at the end of the day, I, I actually look at it more through a JKD mindset as well, that it's, it's more about your art, like what's going to come out of your body. So let's like, this is more of an exploration about your particular art than it is about me inflicting my art upon you, so to speak. So, but you know, so I wanted to, this is a question though, like in this modern day era, do you think that JKD still has the same weight as it used to? Jim, I'll let you answer that one because I, I gave a long winded answer for the last one. Uh, who's got that kind of All right. Uh, no. Mm. I don't think it does. I think the further away we've gotten from the source, I think there are some super talented people out there who are staying true to what it originally was. But as we get further away from the source, unfortunately, and with there's so many different factions and approaches and every Tom, Dick and Harry had trained with Bruce Lee at some level that has gotten watered down. And it may be just one of those arts 50 years from now that is hardly existing. That's what I think could happen. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. But like as Tim, as the first generation and and the original students all pass away, Inosanto pass away, he he does have very credible. So he he certifies this guy who certifies another guy. Can it stay pure to what it is? Because there's much more freedom in the JKD world than perhaps in some other martial arts systems where it's written down in a piece of paper. You must do this exactly like this. So I think I think it may be on the path to death. I'm going to disagree with Jim. Um, would be okay. wrong, Tom. <laughs> and for, for me, you know, the JKD thing's about a mindset and a, a set of principles. And um, I believe 
martial arts is best learned using a principles-based methodology. Um, And those systems, Krav Maga probably being an example where there isn't an underlying set of principles where it's a mishmash of taking like a bit of Muay Thai, calling it Krav Maga, a bit of, you know, boxing, calling whatever, a bit of, bit of shoot fighting, whatever it is, and layering, layering those on and sticking them under a banner. You don't necessarily have the same, the mindset and the process. And I think Friday, you stay true to those principles, such as, you know, simplification, trying to do a few things very well. Then you, then you're doing JKD following those principles. Like, you know, I'm going to, for an opening strike, I'm going to try and hit on a straight line, you know, nearest, um, uh, uh, nearest weapon, closest weapon to the, to the, um, target, et cetera. Then I think, I think it's still, it's still got relevance. Is it the only thing you should study? No, it's not. There's, you know, everyone will grow and evolve, but take that mindset and apply it to whatever else you're doing. And, you know, you're, you're a student of Eric, Paulson's or an instructor Mm. under Eric Paulson and you know he comes from that background he applies that mindset and methodology um (coughs) to his training and does it very effectively so for me no I disagree with Jim Mm. um but then maybe I'm being one of those guys who says I love you know I I I can't (laughs) admit that my stuff's not as good as it is because I've been doing it for like 11 years you know I, I I don't know maybe I'm one of those guys well I mean like you know, if you're talking about preserving a a thing, you know, like I mean, even Bruce Lee said, once he gave it a name, he killed it, right? Like, as soon as, he, as soon as he put it in a box, it it allowed it to be confined. It gave it parameters, and by definition of what it was, it was a parameterless system. It was based on principles, and yeah, you know, like people got caught up on the idea of what was original JKD. So, like, if you're talking about, you know, what is original JKD? You got JKD early on when Bruce Lee was damn near 90% Wing Chun and he had 10% yeah. things coming in. And Absolutely. then as he progressed, it became less and less Wing Chun and more Western boxing, fencing, whatever. And now you have this like, you know, you have mixed martial arts where people have taken the ideas of Jeet Kune Do, whether people want to admit it's JKD or not that it was influenced. Yeah. The idea of like fighting in different realms, different domains and not having... Less- yeah. A, a rule set like confine you to like express and fight it's kind of yeah. hard to like determine like like what is tra- you know what the hell is traditional anything you know what is what is classical jkd you know just he's like well this that's is the right. way jkd fought and and this is the way bruce lee fought in 1967 that's jkd yeah and i was like well we're gonna yeah. keep fighting like that or are we just gonna pass on are we passing it on more now as an art and a historical um arch- a, a, a historical thing Rather than yeah. a fighting system, because fighting systems need to evolve, you know. And I'm not saying you don't exactly. want to play it wrong. I just think that, you know, we have to I, determine like, work with our. Th- this I, I see JKD as having more problems than most martial arts. One of them is just you know people who want to just replicate Bruce Lee and do it. You know, just co- just copy Bruce Lee. Maybe follow his journey all the way through. Um, some people they're taking the concept stuff and going so far away from what he was on about. Um, and we could talk about all this stuff. Sure. Hey, Tom, yeah, I was going to say the irony of this question, by the way, mm-hmm. is that uh, <laughs> Buck asked, you know, are you guys JKD based? And we're trying not to be just a JKD show. And God damn it, God damn we've it. become a JKD <laughs> yeah, show. Because right. everything's, everything's JKD. Everything's right. JKD. Everything's JKD. Let's let's wrap up the show with a, oh, a couple yes. couple of things I wanted to ask you guys about. Um, so going back 
One is, and I know you're not massively into the boxing, but um, Canelo Triple G at the weekend. And then the other one I wanted to ask you about was Khabib and McGregor. Two, two massive fights in their respective disciplines. What was your, you guys' take on, on both of them or, 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 or take on what's coming up? Yeah, so I'll speak more to the Khabib Connor fight because as much as I love the art of boxing, I haven't really followed it since since freaking you know I don't know Tyson was fighting. You know, <laughs> why is that? Why is that? I'm interested to know. You know, so I, I talked to a guy who is um, the WBC representative in Thailand. Like he rep, you know, WBC both represents boxing and Thai boxing in, in, in Thailand. And he was like, you know, boxing has died because there aren't as many, there aren't as many heroes anymore. There aren't as many characters, right? Like you had, you had African-American characters like, you know, Lennox, you know, we had like, um, you know, Sugar Ray Leonard, you had Mike Tyson, you had, um, Hagler, Hearns, you had these guys that were like these characters, you know, like you could follow them, you could get behind their story and where they're going. Um, yeah. And then, you know, African-American fighters stopped being as prominent. Maybe a lot of them started to go to other sports that were paying more money. And now you had this resurgence of the Russian stoic fighter who's coming out there and beating the crap out of everyone because they live in these hard times. And as, as good as they are as fighters, they have no personalities. As far as we're yeah. concerned, like there's, there's not a character that you're like, oh, I wonder what he's going to do next, what he's going to say next. He's going to say the same thing he always says because he's a stoic Russian. So there's not Thank the God inter- for McGregor. Yeah. Well, then there, here comes McGregor, <laughs> yeah. who is now this like flamboyant character who's talking trash, but he's doing it very intelligently. He's trying to kind of follow that Muhammad Ali type, type road where yeah. he's going to make a show and spectacle out of it, and, he's gonna, and he can fight. And now more people are going back towards that. So I just don't think... For me, in boxing, there aren't enough characters. I like the sport of the physical sport of boxing clearly because it's part of mixed martial arts, but it just doesn't it doesn't entertain me as much. And I don't as see as many people really going for it. Like I don't see a whole lot of fights where people are going out there and they're really, really trying yeah. to knock that other guy out. People are gaming the sport. They want to fight fifteen rounds and right. win it by decision, but no one's yeah. really like putting it out there and going for I it. I saw a quote. At least it was attributed to Mike Tyson. I made a mention this last week, and um, I don't know if he said it or not, but I could picture him saying, he goes, the difference between me back in the day and the fighter today, he goes, I was a killer. Today, they're businessmen. Mm. Definitely true in Mayweather. Definitely true. Very true. Tyson just wanted to fuck your shit up. Yeah. Yeah. And he'd do it for free. He would do it for free. That was the difference, right? Like Khabib. Like Khabib, right. Like, okay, so yeah, what's, what's your view on the fight? Man, you know, the, the concern with Khabib is that he doesn't have a whole lot of head movement. Zero would be. He has, yeah, as in zero, correct. Yeah, as in zero <laughs> head movement, which means at some point he's going to get hit by that left hand of Connor early on. It's a possibility. And the question is, is he going to be able to withstand getting hit by that enough to get past Connor and get him tired? Because we all know Connor is a two-round fighter, maybe three-round fighter at best. Right. Yeah. If Khabib can get his hands on him, and I'm not, I'm not talking about like Connor's. Connor is actually a better grappler than most people give him credit. Absolutely. Like, if you watched when he fought Nate, he was able to sweep him with like a kuri kuri guard sweep. It's like yeah. a sports sweep. He swept yeah. Nate Diaz with in the middle of a fight while he was under duress. It's pretty impressive. Yeah. That being said, if 
Khabib gets on top of him and starts ragdolling him. He's going to start sapping his gas tank fast. And I don't think it's a for Connor. I don't think it's like a conditioning thing. I think it's a fast twitch thing. I think he's got so much explosive fast twitch muscle fiber in his body that he is a short distance fighter that has to manage his gas tank, just like Jose Aldo, right? Guys can knock you out with one shot, but if you make them fight hard for five rounds, they're just going to gas. Those guys have to be able to fight in pockets. They need to be into and like smart about when they fight, when they burn their energy, move in and out of distance, fight when they need to fight, conserve their energy. Khabib is not going to let him just fight a conservative fight, but Khabib has to stay conscious long enough to do that. And if he gets caught in the first two rounds, if he gets hit by that freaking left hand, I don't know any. I don't know too many people can take that. Like I don't. There aren't too many people can. Nate Diaz can, but he's high all the time. So I don't. You know that. So. <laughs> well, maybe crackers start smoking some doobies. Yeah, you know, maybe like you get Khabib high before the fight, and he but, goes numb yeah. and just fights like a. So your taste, if you had to say, you'd say Khabib will take it. Man, I. It's a I don't big know. Fight. It's, a big, it's a big fight. It could go either way. But I think I just know that if it goes Connor's way, it's going to end quickly. No doubt. And if it's Khabib's way, it's going to probably drag out for a couple of rounds. Right. Well, I was watching, you know, like I said, a bunch of his fights, like 10 of his fights in the past week. And he didn't finish a lot of guys that ended up going five rounds with, you know, or three rounds or whatever. I'm sorry, whatever the, the rounds were. I guess three. And, yeah. uh, Guys who weren't at McGregor's level. So I was kind of going, hmm. I, I I went back and actually watched the fights. Yeah. And I was kind of shocked that that's not taking it. Look, I don't want Khabib on top of me pounding me against the cage. There's no way. Yeah. Um, but I was shocked that he didn't <coughs> finish these guys. So well, I don't believe we're at McGregor's level. And it went to the uh-huh. scorecards. So then when I went back and kind of looked at that, and I said, hmm, well, my take might be slightly different than it was a week ago when I thought it was, then I thought, McGregor's got a greater chance than I think people have thought about. You know, I think, like you said, that punch and his ability to get back up off the ground. I don't know. I like you say it could go either way, uh, but I just had a different look at it when I actually went back and watched. I, it had to be ten of his fights. I went. Yeah, I think that the the Alicent, uh, fight is is not a good representation of of Khabib's ability. I think in that fight, you know, everyone, if you've seen the fight, it was a New Yorker right. who basically took the fight last minute and got a five, yeah. five rounds with Khabib. But I think Khabib wanted that fight to go five rounds. I think Khabib wanted work. I think he knew he could, he could take him down, grind him up, and finish him if he wanted to. But it was mm-hmm. like, this is a great opportunity for me to get on the grand right. stage to fight right. for five rounds and to give people the illusion that... That is really thought out. Yeah. I just... Okay, you were a fighter. Would you ever fucking do that? If you could finish me in round one, why would you keep me to round five? I wouldn't, but I'm not. <laughs> I don't wrestle bears Khabib's for a living. That, <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't think Khabib looks at human beings as a threat. I think that dude, he's literally that guy that's like, yeah. I can take a drink and go fight two more fights right. like this tonight. So right. I wouldn't do it because I know I would be tired, but I don't think... And because you might have made a, a big mistake in judgment there, that maybe that guy gets that second wind and does come back and pop you upside the head. And yeah. The dynamics when you had the fight won. I was just, it's just like, I know I, there's no way. If I could finish the guy, I'm going to finish him. Yeah, I think he wanted to get work in. I think, I think he wanted to get work in. I think he wanted to create an illusion that, well, shit, if he went five rounds with Alicenta, then I'm going to smash him. And I think, I think he's playing inside of Connor's head. I think, I think Khabib is a very smart fighter. 
and you don't get to be 30 and 0 without being one. And that's only the fights that they have recorded in professional. Right. You know, right. who knows how many freaking Sambo fights he had over uh, in, in Russia, you know. Probably. So, right. But, well, I mean, hey. but if Connor touches him, you got magic on that left hand, man. Oh yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Khabib doesn't move his head at all. So it's like he's gonna hit him. Like unless he does something different in his fight fighting, as long as he comes out there bobbing and weaving, he's gonna get cracked. Jim, a quick quick word on uh, Canelo Triple G. Um, I didn't unfortunately get to watch the fight. We had fights going up uh Diamond Gloves up in North Jersey and so I didn't get to see the fight. I've just seen a couple of clips of my what I've heard and people I've spoken to was a, a bad call. It was a close fight, but a bad call should have went for Triple G. But I'm just going by what people I respect their opinions on and heard them say. It, I, but that I didn't unfortunately get to watch the fight. I was busy. Uh, similar story for me. Um, I, I, I've seen widespread coverage that um, Triple G probably edged it. And uh, obviously it's the second controversial scorecard that he's, you know, that that, that fight's had. I don't know if there'll be a third, you know, um, Triple G's 36 now. Um, Doc Watson, interestingly, watched it live in Japan in an English pub. And uh, he said that he, that he had Japanese commentary on, so he had no bias in his head. He scored it. He's got an app where you can score it on your phone. And he, he did score it 115, 113 to um, uh, Canelo. Uh, which is on, in line with what the judges said. So may, maybe it was a bit closer. Doc Watson knows his shit, so maybe he's right. He sure does. Right, right. Awesome. Hey, Buck, thank you so much, man. I know you're a busy dude. Taking Thanks for the having time. me, guys. I really appreciate and, it. And bullshit. We, I think we've done the longest podcast in history of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good record to be a part of. But No, we can talk to you all day. You're a very we interesting could, guy. Yeah. Look, yeah, if you want to get a hold of... of of Buck, you got to can find him on his uh, website, buckgrant.com. Is there anything in particular you want to promote, Buck? Yeah, I mean, I've got a retreat coming up in Costa Rica. I'll be there Jeez. December 1st through the 8th. Um, we're doing Thanks. three hours of training in the morning, and then it's pretty much a training vacation, man. You're going to be, it's one of my favorite places to go. So if anyone wants to come to that, you can check that out on the website. And then get on my Instagram page. Awesome. I'm always posting pictures of either fighting or my dog. So. Every time. <laughs> no, my dog's awesome. I have a pit like a blue pit. She's she's amazing. So nice, beautiful. So check Buck, out. I really do appreciate it. Interesting. Got a lot of good stuff. Thanks to for having me, guys. Out. I really Sorry appreciate for, it. Uh, all resources and listen to his podcast. The um, fight focus. So thank you. I know that. I'm a trained professional, Tom. Aren't we all? Tom can't stand that I do it, not as much preparation, but I'm good at it. So I don't, I don't need to prepare like you, Tom. Hell it yeah. comes natural. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> all out. right. That was a great show. Uh, we'll be back next week. And who knows who will be on because I don't have a clue. Guys, everyone, peace out. <laughs> Take care. Okay. You have been listening to Primal Radio in association with Primal Gym and Primal Promotions. Primal Radio is available on all good podcast venues. To help us grow, please subscribe, like it, share it, and leave us a great review.